Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Islam saved jury. Islam saved jury. These are the words of Professor David J. Wasserstein, who is an expert in Islamic and Jewish history at Vanderbilt University in the United States. In an article published in the Jewish Chronicle, which I'll link to below, entitled, So, what did the Muslims do for the Jews? He said, Islam saved Jewry. This is an unpopular, discomforting claim in the modern world but it is a historical truth. The argument for it is double. First, in 570 CE, when the Prophet Muhammad was born, the Jews and Judaism were on the way to oblivion. And second, the coming of Islam saved them, providing a new context in which they not only survived, but flourished laying foundations for subsequent Jewish cultural prosperity, also in Christendom, through the medieval period into the modern world. By the fourth century, Christianity had become the dominant religion in the Roman Empire. One aspect of this success was opposition to rival faiths, including Judaism, along with massive conversion of members of such faiths sometimes by force, to Christianity. Much of our testimony about Jewish existence in the Roman Empire from this time on consists of accounts of conversions. Great and permanent reductions in numbers through conversion between the 4th and 7th centuries brought with them a gradual but relentless whittling away of the status, rights, social and economic existence and religious and cultural life of Jews all over the Roman Empire. A long series of enactments deprived Jewish people of their rights as citizens, prevented them from fulfilling their religious obligations and excluded them from the society of their fellows. This went along with the centuries-long military and political struggle with Persia. As a tiny element in the Christian world, the Jews should not have been affected much by this broad political issue. Yet it affected them critically because the Persian Empire at this time included Babylon, now Iraq, of course, at the time home to the world's greatest concentration of Jews. Here also the greatest centres of Jewish intellectual life existed. The most important single work of Jewish cultural creativity in over 3,000 years, apart from the Bible itself, the Talmud, 
came into being in Babylon. The struggle between Persia and Byzantium in our period led increasingly to a separation between Jews under Byzantine Christian rule and Jews under Persian rule. Beyond all this, the Jews who lived under Christian rule seem to have lost the knowledge of their own culturally specific languages, Hebrew and Aramaic, and to have taken on the use of Latin or Greek or other non-Jewish local languages. This in turn must have meant that they also lost access to the central literary works of Jewish culture, the Torah, Mishnah, poetry, Midrash, even the liturgy. The loss of the unifying force represented by language was a major step towards assimilation and disappearance. In these circumstances, with contact with the one place where Jewish cultural life continued to prosper, Babylon, cut off by conflict with Persia, Jewish life in the Christian world of late antiquity was not simply a pale shadow of what it had been three or four centuries earlier, it was doomed. Had Islam not come along, the conflict with Persia would have continued. The separation between Western Judaism, that of Christendom, and Babylonian Judaism, that of Mesopotamia, would have intensified. Jewry in the West would have declined to disappearance in many areas, and Jewry in the East would have become just another Oriental cult. But this was all prevented by the rise of Islam. The Islamic conquests of the seventh century changed the world and did so with dramatic, wide-ranging and permanent effect for the Jews. Within a century of the death of the Prophet Muhammad in 632, Muslim armies had conquered almost the whole of the world where Jews lived, from Spain eastward across North Africa and the Middle East as far as the eastern frontier of Iran and beyond. Almost all the Jews in the world were now ruled by Islam. This new situation transformed Jewish existence. <clears throat> Their fortunes changed in legal, demographic, social, religious, political, geographical, economic, linguistic and cultural terms, all for the better. First, things improved politically. Almost everywhere in Christendom where Jews had lived now formed part of the same political space as Babylon. Cordoba and Basra lay in the same political world. The old frontier between the rival centre in Babylonia and the Jews of the Mediterranean basin was swept away forever. Political change was partnered by a change in the legal status of the Jewish population. Although it is not always clear what happened during the Muslim conquests, one thing is certain. The result of the conquest was, by and large, to make the, Jewish, the Jews second-class citizens. Now, this should not be misunderstood. To be a second-class citizen was a far better thing 
than not to be a citizen at all. For most of these Jews, second-class citizenship represented a major advance. In Visigothic Spain, for example, shortly before the Muslim conquest in 711, this is under Christian rule in Spain, the Jews had seen their children removed from them and forcibly converted to Christianity and had themselves been enslaved. In the developing Islamic societies of the classical and medieval periods, being a Jew meant belonging to a category defined under law, enjoying certain rights and protections alongside various obligations. These rights and protections were not as extensive or as generous as those enjoyed by Muslims, and the obligations were greater, but for the first few centuries, the Muslims themselves were a minority, and the practical differences were not all that great. Along with near, near equality came social and economic equality. Jews were not confined to the ghettos, either literally or in terms of economic activity. The societies of Islam were, in effect, open societies. In religious terms, too, Jews enjoyed virtually full freedom. They might not build many new synagogues, in theory, and they might not make too, too public their profession of their faith, but there was no really significant restriction on the practice of their religion. Along with internal legal autonomy, they also enjoyed formal representation through leaders of their own before the authorities of the state. Imperfect and often not quite as rosy as this might sound, it was at least the broad norm. <clears throat> the political unity brought by the new Islamic world empire did not last, but it created a vast Islamic world civilization, similar to the olden Christian civilization that it replaced. Within this huge area, Jews lived and enjoyed broadly similar status and rights everywhere. They could move around, maintain contacts and develop their identity as Jews. A great new expansion of trade from the 9th century onwards brought the Spanish Jews, like the Muslims, into touch with the Jews and the Muslims, even of India. All this was encouraged by a further critical development. Huge numbers of people in the new world of Islam adopted the language of the Muslim Arabs. Arabic gradually became the principal language of this vast area, excluding almost all the rest. Greek and Syriac, Aramaic and Coptic and Latin all died out, replaced by Arabic. Persian too went into a long retreat to reappear later heavily influenced by Arabic. The Jews moved over to Arabic very rapidly, and by the way, he doesn't say this, of course, Semitic languages, Arabic and uh, Hebrew are cognate. They're very similar to each other in many ways. By the early 10th century, only 300 years after the conquests, Sadia Gaon was translating the Bible into Arabic. 
Bible translation is a massive task. It is not undertaken unless there is a need for it. By about the year 900, the Jews had largely abandoned other languages and taken on Arabic. The change of language in its turn brought the Jews into direct contact with broader cultural developments. The result from the 10th century on was a striking pairing of two cultures. The Jews of the Islamic world developed an entirely new culture, which differed from their culture before Islam in terms of language, cultural forms, influences and uses. Instead of being concerned primarily with religion, the new Jewish culture of the Islamic world, like that of its neighbours, mixed the religious and the secular to a high degree. By contrast, the contrast both with the past and with medieval Christian Europe was enormous. Like their neighbours, these Jews wrote in Arabic, in part and in Jewish form of that language. The use of Arabic brought them close to the Arabs. But the use of a specific Jewish form of that language maintained the barriers between Jew and Muslim. The subjects that Jews wrote about and the literary forms in which they wrote about them were largely new ones, borrowed from the Muslims and developed in tandem with developments in Arabic Islam. Also at this time, Hebrew was revived as a language of high literature, parallel to the use among the Muslims of a high form of Arabic for similar purposes. Along with its use for poetry and artistic prose, secular writing of all forms in Hebrew and in Judeo-Arabic came into being, some of it of high quality. Now, where did the Jews produce all this? When did they and their neighbours achieve this symbiosis, this mode of living together? The Jews did it in a number of centres of excellence. The most outstanding of these was Islamic Spain, where there was a true Jewish golden age. This has been forgotten, by the way, this is me speaking, been forgotten about in our collective European Western history. How many of us remember the Jewish golden age in the West? And yet it is a, it is a reality. Alongside a wave of cultural achievement among the Muslim population, the Spanish case illustrates a more general pattern too. What happened in Islamic Spain? Waves of Jewish cultural prosperity, paralleling waves of cultural prosperity among the Muslims, exemplifies a larger pattern in Arab Islam. In Baghdad, between the 9th and the 12th centuries, between the 9th and the 11th centuries in Cairo, and he goes on and talks about many other examples of the rise and fall of cultural centres in Islam, tending to reflect the rise and fall of Jewish centres of cultural activity in the same places. You can read about this in the article. This is not a coincidence, nor was it the product of particularly enlightened patronage by the Muslim rulers. It was the product of a number of deeper features of these societies, social and cultural, legal, economic, linguistic and political, 
which together enabled and indeed encouraged the Jews of the Islamic world to create a novel subculture within the high civilization of the time. This did not last forever. The period of culturally successful symbiosis between Jew and Arab Muslim in the Middle Ages came to a close by about 1300. In reality, it had reached this point even earlier with the overall relative decline in the importance and vitality of Arabic culture, both in relation to Western European cultures and in relation to other cultural forms within Islam itself, Persian and Turkish. Jewish cultural prosperity in the Middle Ages operated in a large part as a function of Muslim, Arabic, cultural and some degree political prosperity. When Muslim Arab culture thrived, so did that of the Jews. When Muslim Arabic culture declined, so did that of the Jews. In the case of the Jews, however, the cultural capital thus created also served as the seedbed of further growth elsewhere, in Christian Spain and in the Christian world more generally. The Islamic world was not the only source of inspiration for the Jewish cultural revival that came later to Christian Europe, but it certainly was a major contributor to that development. Its significance cannot be overstated. And that's the end of the article. Professor David J. Wasserstein, as I said, Professor of Jewish Studies and Islamic History at Vanderbilt University. And the article is in the Jewish Chronicle. Absolutely uh, fascinating, completely contrary to uh, the way many people now perceive the Muslim world and the Jewish world because of very recent events in historical time uh, that have happened in the Middle East, which I'm not going to go into, which are completely soured turned toxic, this relationship between Jews and Muslims. But it was not always so, and indeed for the vast norm, the vast time, the 1,000 years or so, the relationship between Jews and Muslims was uh, one of peaceful coexistence, mutual prosperity and mutual tolerance. And that's an extraordinary historical reality we do well to remember today. Till next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.